Bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 2, Episode 34, Team Almost Good Enough to Explain Rivals. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jesse and or Cypher. Look, you get it. You get it. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I'm very happy to introduce another person in the interview all-star lineup that we continually bring through here on Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Today we have Bowling King, who some of you melee people may not recognize, but Rivals? Oh yeah, you better believe those people know Bowling King. Well, actually, it's more of like the Rivals of Ether workshop people specifically, a niche within a niche a subsection of a niche as we talk about here in this upcoming interview that you're about to hear between me and Bowling King. Very excited to share this with you. I hope that you enjoy and we got some stuff to talk about afterwards as well. So for now, enjoy Bowling King. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right. Transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I'm so happy to be joined by Bowling King, who is a YouTuber and a streamer and commentates for Rivals of Ether events. Bowling King, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you so much for letting me come on. I uh, I binge wa- or I binge listened to a lot of the podcasts when you asked me to come on because I had no clue what it was, but I saw it was on Spotify, and I started I started running it through my head when I'd play. Few my uh, few risk of rain runs, and it, it started to build up hype for when this was inevitably going to happen. The inevitability. Well, something that if you don't mind sharing while we're on the record and recording, don't mean to put you on the spot here. Well, I actually am doing that, so I apologize. But I must know what are your thoughts? Is there anything I can do better? Because uh, we were talking a little bit how you do some podcasting yourself on the side, amongst all of your other awesome side hustles. I think the big thing uh, I noticed from you when I was listening on the podcast is your audio sounds a bit strange. I don't know. I would have to, you know, know what kind of microphone you're using and see what kind of settings you're doing on the Audacity. But really early on, I can't read that, unfortunately. Really early It's a Samson Q2U microphone. Q2U microphone. Really early on in the podcast, like I started, I thought it would start from like the very start and work our way up. Uh, I, I noticed your audio sounded a bit like low quality esque. I use I use a Blue Yeti microphone myself for my podcasting and such. But I'd say so far you're on the right track. A lot of it comes down to tweaking audacity values and such. You get a knack for it the more you do it. I haven't tweaked any audacity thing ever in the history of the of the ever. I've just messed around with reduce reduce certain noise, the sound reduction on Audacity when I feel like there's a lot of background sound for the person I'm interviewing, but that's about it. Right, that's probably your problem. See, my flow for when I edit my own audio, especially for the podcast, is I reduce the background noise first. You know, in these podcasts, there's a long break session if we're letting someone else talk and if they're waiting for us to finish talking, and you can use that to separate out the background noise. And then once you have that done, you need to compress it so that way you don't lose audio quality and then equalize it. So that way it's all at the same level. And then, pardon me for a second. And then after you equalize it, you can go into bass and treble. And what I do is I give myself a bit more bass because of a very deep voice. But if you have a more higher pitch voice, you can give yourself more treble. And it allows you to make the audio sound really clean. Interesting, because I haven't looked into any of that stuff at all. I've just been going like, well, I listened to it and I don't want to die. So this is probably good enough for now. But this feedback is very valuable. You're one of the few people who have said to me, actually, yes, there is something that you can be doing better. So thank you, Bowling King. Right off the start, I feel like this is already awesome. Well, I mean, 
podcasting is a very interesting side hobby because it's basically it's basically an excuse to get out and hang around with people and talk about interesting things. I've learned a few interesting things while I've been doing podcasting, and I've talked to some people that really I wouldn't have been able to talk to before if it wasn't through the venue of podcasting. And is there a few examples of who you might have been able to speak to within the Rivals of Ether community or otherwise while you've been podcasting? Oh, yeah, totally. I can talk about some of that. So I think the biggest one we did was back after the April 1st Direct. I guess for context, I personally started out in Rivals of Aether leaning more towards into the workshop scene, which is very grassroots, very community-oriented scene. And around the April 1st Direct, it had been announced that four characters had been selected from workshop to go into the actual game, this DLC coming this summer, along with the or later this year, along with the beta for rollback. And one of the individuals who had their character selected to go into the base game, Sprite Star, had agreed to come on to the podcast with me literally the day before that announcement came out. And I don't think if it wasn't for the podcast I'd been doing, I would have been able to get an opportunity to get into such an interesting design philosophy. I've also been able to go around and basically have an excuse to talk to a bunch of top players through podcasting. I've talked to Sparks21, and I think... Don't think he still plays base cast anymore, but I have also talked to Slime Puffin, who are two like relatively major players in our scene, but have also very extensive histories in the base cast. Very, very nice. It sounds like that with your podcasting piece specifically, despite the fact that there's a pandemic going on and that we're not going outside as much anymore. Although, thankfully, it seems as if things are sort of taking a small step in the getting back together direction. But regardless, this past year, this has been an opportunity for you to make connections, even if everyone's mostly at home. And I dare say it's almost even easier to have somebody set aside some time because not that they're doing absolutely nothing with their own time. Just that I mean, I imagine that for Melee players specifically, after a while, when things are closer to normal, there's just tournaments happening, especially on weekends, and then recovering, trying to work a job if you don't have enough of a stream revenue to play Melee full-time, all that kind of stuff. So from your experience, do you feel like this has been as good as time as any to try to book people into podcasting and to talk, have conversations? Oh, absolutely. I don't think it would just be like, aside from my community, like if you have an interest in podcasting and you ba- if you know the basics of how to network with people, I'd say now more than ever would be a great time to talk with players of whatever game field you're in, whether it be Melee, Ultimate, maybe you're into Project Plus, or maybe you're into Smash 64, Smash 4. I'd say now is like just the best time because really with how little's going on, you know, like you said, if you don't have a full-time stream revenue, you must go out and work a job. You know, tournaments are happening mostly on weekends or, you know, tournaments happening on the monthly basis. It leaves a lot of gap in time where players are just going to be playing the game, keeping their skills fresh. And sitting down and doing something else other than that, I think it's like a great refresher to their mindset because they're not... They're, they're not playing the game. They get to talk about it. They get to sit down, relax a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit more casual and it's, there's not a tournament placing and seating and prize money and all that stuff on the line it's just like let's talk about a game that we love right yeah definitely so we didn't bring you on just to talk about podcasting though i am interested in hearing a little bit more about how you got into rivals of ether is this the game that after playing games growing up you saw and went oh this is oh this is really fun this is really good i like this game So, believe it or not, my introduction to this game is wild. It is a wild, like, historical kind of timeline where there's ups and downs, sagas and arcs, 
To summarize it briefly, I had bought the game when it was back before Definitive Edition with the only DLC set I was interested in in around 2020, around summer that year, because me and my friends were looking for a alternative to Smash at the time. We were getting... We weren't having as much fun with the game, and we wanted something else, and out of everything we played together, Rivals looked the most interesting. So, after we had played that for a while, we took a break from it, and I discovered the workshop scene from a guy named Adam, I think his name's Adam Kara, I always mispronounce it. He's one of the bigger end uh, content creators for Rivals. He was brought on to help for the uh, Direct on April 1st. And after I discovered him, I discovered what workshop was, and I thought, wow, this would be this would be really neat to try to get into. So I went into it last year, latter half, and I worked on a project with someone. And then after that, I kind of fell off. And then I had a resurgence earlier this year of I had a lot of spare money. I did some commissions around the community. I got brought into a sort of subsection community server where I started making connections. And I eventually got back into the game through making videos, talking about you know, the design work of Workshop characters because Workshop of Rivals is incredibly, it's a niche within a niche, so it's like niche squared. And then after I had been doing that for a while, I had sort of begun to gain a reputation around February, which is around when the first major event happened, which was Blueprints of the Year, which was a big showcase of everything everyone in the community had done. I got to interview the person who made that, Zeta, on that podcast that I started, and ever since then, uh, my appreciation for playing the game, even outside of Workshop, has gone up mostly because of the people who I play it with. And I went and picked up a coach as well to make sure or to start improving at the game, because really, I I find it strange. This was like the first game I think I've played that I have genuine passion and interest in playing at a high level. So with Smash in particular, you were talking about falling out of that a little bit. Is it Was it Ultimate or Melee that you were referring to specifically? It was Ultimate. My local scene is one of those incredibly small local scenes where most of the people who play Smash are high school and college students, those who play at a competent high level. And the only locals we had were at the college that is around like a 30-minute drive away from where I live. And... There was around like maybe one or two tournaments that they managed to hold before the pandemic started. And I'd played in those. I had been doing a lot of just playing Smash with my friends and playing online. But I never felt the drive to go and improve at Smash. Mainly because of, if you give me a second to reach and grab this. Mainly because of this. I, for the life of me, cannot use a GameCube controller. Oh. <laughs> it is... It is incredibly clunky for me to try and do the high eight or high actions per second inputs or actions per minute that games like Melee and Smash require because of how my hands are. My left hand naturally has uh, it well it had, I think it still has to some degree, it had a bad tremor. It would make my handwriting awful. And it made it really hard to do precise movements in Smash because, you know, for tilts and for walking You'd have to gently nudge the stick. And for doing techniques like dash dancing, which, you know, is required for a game especially demanding a smash, I'd have to flick my thumb incredibly fast back and forth. And I couldn't I couldn't keep up with that speed. And practicing that speed hurt my thumb. And you're just thinking to yourself, I'm not necessarily in love with this game so much that I want to punish my own hands and my own body for playing it. Yeah, I like 
I like watching Smash and I like commentating Smash. My first commentary gig ever was a Smash Ultimate doubles tournament at this locals. Doubles. And, you know, yeah. yeah, it was doubles. It was a very, very casual doubles. But, you know, when it comes to Smash, I love the game watching it and I would love the game commentating it. But playing it at that level was physically demanding. And considering like the kind of skill curve that games like ultimate and melee have where you know the longer you sink into it the higher the skill is going to be and i had never really played any sort of game of this manner at a high level i kind of i kind of cut my losses before i went into deep i said to myself if it hurts this much to try and practice dash dancing or in these other incredibly requisite techniques to perform at a high level i'd rather just not run that risk and you know about all kinds of different controller options. Of course, you're deep enough in the platform fighting niche that we have with Rivals of Ether and Smash that you would know about like stuff like the Hitbox, Smashbox, and the Box B0XX, the Frame 1 controller, all that kind of stuff. Did you ever look into any of that, or were you just only interested in moving on to another game? I think at the time I was only interested in moving on to another game because, believe it or not, I do play Rivals with a different controller. I play Rivals with this. Oh, hey, that has a stick on it as well as some, you know, like it's like it's like what the box was originally deriv- derived from. Excuse me. Yeah, this is an original arcade stick. Uh, it's Yori. This was a custom arcade stick I got for Christmas. So despite not having the drive to play Smash at a high level, I've been playing traditional fighters for like a good chunk of my cognizant life. And I'd gotten my first arcade stick in Christmas of 2018. And when I made the switch over to that, I, I loved how it felt. I couldn't go back to playing those these types of games on a pad or a GameCube controller anymore. And when I started looking at the Hitbox, the Smashbox, the BOXX, the big thing for me is that it's the same thing as a keyboard. Rather than having a stick, which uses the whole of my wrist to move, it uses buttons, which would rely on my fingers. And again... Try, even trying to play games like this on a keyboard, considering the right hand, you, since my right hand's my dominant hand, I want that to move. And if I use my left hand for trying to push attack buttons, that feels weak and untactile. But if I try using my left hand for movement, it feels the same. Nor was there any way at the time that I think I could have bound my stick to work with Smash because of how many inputs smash has it does have a lot of inputs so you had tried a little bit of melee a little bit of ultimate and and you're also playing with your friends as well and this is in the pandemic time so obviously the ultimate net code is not great and even with melee it requires so much out of you in terms of technical proficiency and muscle memory and skill that if you're not feeling it of course natural to move on but i'm also interested to hear about where you feel like you are now with Rivals of Ether, how you have a coach to try to help you develop more of the advanced techniques and better doing all the mind game and neutral stuff, being able to possibly compete in a tournament setting with better players. Although I don't know if you're competing actively at the moment with Rivals of Ether, but where do you feel like your relationship is now with the game and where you want to push in terms of playing or do you want to push in commentary? What's your desire out of that? I think I just want to kind of push as a whole. I've, I've like increased a circle of people I enjoy hanging out with through the game and 
playing the game isn't as physically demanding as Melee, and it's not hair-pullingly annoying to play online like Ultimate. And considering the fact I c- it has enough buttons to where I can play it on my stick, I do I do grind out tournaments every week and try to improve at least. I don't know I don't know where I stand in terms of skill proficiency. I haven't even beaten an amateur bracket, but in terms of where I stand with the game and do I want to continue playing it to get better? Do I want to commentate? I think just the answer for all of that is yes. <laughs> Bigger rivals of ether, better person or something. Kind of, yeah. It's very interesting to talk about because I think as a game, Rivals now has interested me more than Smash. And I think when Rivals 2 comes out, I worry that I'm probably going to fall off from that fall off from you're saying to yourself oh i don't want to get into rivals 2 i just want to stick with the original is that what you're trying to say pretty much yeah basically the thing about rivals 1 when it was made is the game's director dan Frenacy. the reason he wanted to make rivals of aether is because he sucked at melee and so (laughs) a lot of a lot of stuff from rivals is actually derivative from melee concepts but made easier more accessible and less complicated than melee so that people can get that sort of high mobility type of platform fighter without having to sink so much time into the technical precision melee requires and potentially end up hurting themselves that's so cool i think i vaguely knew this and the part of the reason why is because i want to give a shout out to wisely who is not only a great person for all things melee but also a great person all things any sort of fighting game like i i barely knew what brawlhalla was until i watched his video about brawlhalla and how that has like a super high prize pool for either an upcoming event or it already happened but point being there's more than just smash out there in the world for people who grew up on that game that rivals of ether a good game and brawlhalla a good game that sort of thing that sort of deal i don't know how much or if you know about wisely in particular no pressure but it is cool that they just removed the ledge mechanic straight up entirely for the original release of rivals of ether as i recall correctly that's what i know about that game that there's you can't grab ledge so i'm thinking that does simplify things a little bit but from your perspective, since you played infinitely more than me, and I played zero of it, do you think that it's a, a significant drop-off in terms of technical demand, or do you still think there are ways for you to grow into it and find all kinds of different ways to push the meta? I think this might be a rather controversial thing to say, but I do think rivals in terms of technical skill and proficiency in which you can de- develop has the same kind of infinite depth that Melee does. Even though it's designed to be simpler and easily accessible to more people, unlike Melee, which was released back in 2001, before I was born, it still has that same passion and you know understanding of what made Melee the way it is into a much simplified experience, and having more people get into it without losing that quality of Melee still keeps it that infinite depth and complexity. And I think that's really cool because that means that the game designer, oh, I forgot his name already. It's I always I always know it's Dan because I actually follow this person on Twitter, but I It's Dan Fernacy. Fernacy, Fernacy. Um and I lost my train of thought. But the way that he was able to design the game and try to simplify it but then still keep a depth that you're saying is 
comparable to Melee, not exactly the same way, but comparable where the meta can always constantly evolve and push, and the game itself, Rivals of Ether, could be 20 years old, as Melee is almost 20 years old itself now, and still be amazing, and still be growing and evolving. I think the big thing about Rivals of Melee is the way I've always viewed Melee is this. I said this one night, and it was a very it was a very accurate quote I felt. Melee to me feels like an old car. It looks amazing from the outside, and you really wish you could drive it. If you see someone else driving it, you really wish, man, I wish I could drive a car like that. But when you get in that car and start driving it, you start to miss the modern like the modern luxuries we have in fighting games now. And what would what you thought would be a very, you know, sleek, cool-looking retro ride becomes a clunky, hard-to-drive road disaster. A road disaster? <laughs> road disaster. <laughs> that is a statement. I love it. I'm not here to uh, put you specifically on a Twitter clip and say Bowling King said this because you have said so much more, and you've been nice to Melee. But I understand loosely what you're talking about because I of course I'm aware of the controller issue just right there really makes melee hard to be accessible and then how do you get melee do you go on to a place like steam and buy it and download it no you have to go all kinds of this around wraparounds to actually be able to get it onto your computer and play online and maybe it's more accessible than it has been in the past. Maybe perhaps we're going to convert over to something like monitors at some point, even though uh, I think a sizable chunk of the community is still very much against that and using CRTs, which are also extremely old. <laughs> but I think, I think I understand what you're saying, and I don't really want to dispute it or deny it because I think that what you're saying is, is pretty much true, that Melee looks great, but playing it is not the same thing as as watching it. There's there's a disconnect there. You start to realize this is actually really really hard to do. If you watch a video like Awesome Sauce and his video about controllers, you will just un you'll just understand so much more what it takes to play melee at a competitive high level as compared to another game where there's a lot less things in your way of getting to high proficiency, doing cool combos and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, especially when you want to go back from where you've started, because I started with Smash 4. I got a 3DS. I got Smash 4 on the 3DS. That's how I started getting into playing competitive games as a whole and trying to go back to Melee. I've tried to go back to Melee numerous times because, you know, it's slippy and rollback. It's easier now than ever to play Melee. And the thing I've always felt like is, man, watching Melee, it's incredibly fast. But you have to be incredibly good at using the controller to move fast. Because every time I play Melee, it actually feels as slow as Smash 64. I know exactly what you mean. Anybody who is along my skill level of the game, I'll just put it that way, is... We can't move fast. It's just so hard to do. <laughs> and the more you practice, the better you get, of course. And as long as you're taking care of your hands, blah, 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 get a good controller, blah, blah, blah. There there are still things in the way of getting there. To anyone who is PR ranked in their region or is PR ranked on the top 100, that's amazing. But 100 people, think about it, 100 out of the tens of thousands of people that watch Melee, 
there's a reason why that number, it might sound big, but it's actually very small. The people who are insanely good at Melee, who can be out there with the best of the best, who can hang with those kinds of players, yeah, of course there's mid-level players, but even that, we're still talking only about hundreds of people that get to that spot that we're all watching and going, <gasps> did they just do that? That's so cool, right? So it's amazing to watch, certainly. And that's how I've gotten into Melee myself, just by watching it. But playing it, yes, I, I know that I suck. So when I play, it looks slow and it looks like, oh, ooh, ooh. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think, I think that's mainly why... You know, I think Rivals is something that if you are interested in platform fighters, even if you want to wait till Rivals 2 comes out, it's something I think people should look into buying, especially around now. It's going on sale. Like the whole Definitive Edition DLC and all is going to be about $13 on Steam. But the big thing about it is that it doesn't take that much to move fast. My movement in Rivals would look like a melee player at around mid-level. Mainly because the game's designed, you know, to be easily acceptable and not have that much technical requirement. So you can do, I can do things like wave dash around Tower of Heaven, which is our version of Battlefield. You, I can wave dash around Tower of Heaven, wave land onto the plats in like a circle. And that's easy for me to do because it's a much easier, you know, buffer window and etc. compared to Smash Melee, where... It's incredibly technically demanding. So with Tower of Heaven, by the way, that reminds me, I'm pretty sure that is a stage in Smash Remix, which is a that's a modification of the Super Smash Bros. 64 game, something that I love playing with my brother. Tower of Heaven is like a green-ish stage, yep. right? It's a green Game Boy-ish aesthetic stage that is supposed yep. to be our version of Final Destination. Or not Final Destination, Battlefield. But instead Battlefield, of having right? the curve under it just has the walls because again like you said earlier there's no ledge <laughs> yeah so you have to have at least a little bit of variety there and besides uh, you don't have to be a good melee player to know that the ledges in battlefield in melee are are a little tough you can bonk your head quite often if you're not careful with the with recovering or even trying to edge guard so with <clears throat> With your relationship with Rivals of Ether now, trying to get better, trying to push across all fronts, Rivals of Ether 2, and then you were also talking about adding more stuff to Rivals of Ether 1, and you've talked about Definitive Edition, Collective Edition, DLC, and the workshop, so it feels like across all fronts, there's a lot of different pushes to add content to Rivals of Ether. How do you break that down? Because it sounds complicated to me right now, but that's because I'm an, I'm from the outside looking in. Like, what was the basic track of it starting from the beginning to expanding to where it is now, if you don't mind talking about that? So most of this of what I'm going to have to tell you is coming from secondhand sources, mainly people who had access to the alpha and beta versions of the build who are not me. But I do have friends who did have access to these builds. So Rivals started out very different it had a very small collection of characters. i think one of the only playable characters i think at the time if there was one if there wasn't one there was two there was zetterburn and there was raster zetterburn is mostly based off of the fox style of gameplay you have a projectile you have a shine you have firefox an equivalent of and raster is supposed to be a mix i hear of falco and jigglypuff i don't think that personally but 
I know my coach will bring down divine wrath if I say otherwise. <laughs> but it started beta or it started alpha back in like I think 2014 or 2016, somewhere in that time range. And then slowly more of the roster got developed. And then after its release, after 2016, after a while it got its first DLC pack. Its first DLC pack was, I believe, Claren, which is a Mar our Marth equivalent, and Rano, who plays functionally similar to Sheik. And then after that... There was DLC Pack 2, which has Elyon and Sylvanas, which has no melee equivalent. Good luck trying to figure out who the hell they're supposed to represent. And then <laughs> DLC Pack 3 was like a crossover with other indie games. We got Ori from Ori in the Blind Forest and Shovel Knight, the godforsaken sinless bastard he is, in that DLC Pack as well. And after that point, I think recently, either at the end of last year or at the start of this year... Rivals got to Definitive Edition, which is what is the game sold as now, where you get all of the DLC characters, so you basically have the full roster, and there was a ton of changes to it, like the Milestone system, that's a big meme nowadays, and a few more that I don't quite remember. But Definitive Edition was just transitioning to this newest version we have now. And of course, Dan Furnessy? Furnessy. Fernacy had to prove this game and establish, hey, there are people who want to play a platform fighter that's not Melee, that's not Smash in general. So with Rivals 2, which is going to be released later this year, as I understand it, or maybe early next year? I think it would probably be, if it's not later this year, it'd be early next year, judging by their progress. Sure, sure. That it'll be kind of like the bigger and better than everything, and hopefully continue to build upon what is mostly just a, a system and, a, and an IP that is set up to succeed and set up to expand into a both both a casual market and a competitive market. This is something that I know that Rivals of Ether will always beat out anything Nintendo related because of how Nintendo as a, as a copyright holder and intellectual property holder will just do whatever they please with their stuff and if anything is going against their vision of that then they just come in and smack it down like cease and desist letters specifically with melee that's always been something that the community feels a little bit above their head where they go oh this is going to be really cool and awesome and sick and then go like oh but oh, are we going to get smacked down doing this but with Rivals of Ether, it would seem as if, okay, yeah, competitive events, sure, let's do that. Let's try to make those a thing. And I love the fact that that's kind of happening a vibe. Am I understanding that correctly or is it different? Yeah, you're understanding that correctly. Uh, I believe the head, I think he's the head of the esports management for Rivals of Ether. SBS is also, I can't remember if he's on the development team or very in touch with it. But the relationship of player to both tournament organizer and the developers as a whole for the game is very positive. And I think one of the best examples of that comes from, as we were, as we were about to break it down, is the workshop side of the community, which is like an entirely different subsection of the community. Entirely different subsection how? Because they're trying to add on to the game themselves? Right, yeah. So when 2019 rolled around, workshop was going into beta, and you know, we got a lot of we got a lot of pretty yikes decisions. We got things like Mario pissing, 100% accurate Fox. We had a lot of... <gasps> wait, wait, sorry. Cosmic Ronald? I've heard yes. of Cosmic Ronald. Cosmic Ronald is from this, uh, is from where I hail. Cosmic uh, Ronald cursed. was... 
<laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> if Sorry, you, go ahead. If you watch a lot of videos about Workshop from a lot of, you know, content creators, I think Wadi did a video with Workshop with Panda Global. Uh, Alpharad's done a lot of content with it. I think the pe- I think Alpharad, Choctopus, and Linklight are probably the big ones who are consistent with it. You kind of see this orientation around, you know, like copyrighted characters and you know memes and whatnot and kind of like a surface level understanding but as a whole basically workshop is a collection of people who want to be game designers who have basically it's free to download visual studio a sprite costs like 20 dollars, and it's incredibly it's incredibly cheap to start all you need is basically the drive the will and either the talent or the skills or both to start doing it well, you don't get Cosmic Ronald right away. And for you, is that something that you have been able to make your own characters, do your own stuff within Workshop? I've been able to do it myself, yes. Good, no. Mainly because that was like my first two excursions in both fields. But when it comes to making something within Workshop, the community is incredibly helpful. They have a ton of resources. They have a ton of people active who have experience in all fronts, coding, animation, sprite work, that are usually willing to help you, unless unless you're like a bad apple. We usually don't <laughs> we usually don't tolerate much of that. But you know, if you're if you're not stupid and you're rational and you know you're willing to be patient with us, usually people will help you get through the most difficult processes of it. And we've had a lot of great stuff. But we actually had a character jam recently through the month of May that I got to judge, where we had 30 submissions. So we had this big prize pool of $300 to divide between people. And it was a really fun experience, although I didn't develop anything for it. I think for the community, it's a really good experience because we got so much diverse content all at once. And most of it we get to stick with. $300? Bowling King? 300 yeah, three hundred's very large for our side of the community. I pitched in a hundred. The person who did Blueprint Zeta, he pitched in two hundred. The whole jam was his idea. I just hopped on board and sponsored it as well. But three hundred dollars for thirty characters—that's basically like ten dollars for a character if you break it down. Right, right. No, I was gonna say I want to make sure that I understand that what the uh, what the rating of a prize pool like that would be because. I'm thinking about Melee and how it's like, you know, how comical it is, like prize money. What's that? So I was just curious. We broke it down like $200 for first, $100 for second, I think $50 for third, and we pitched in an extra 50 for two honorable mentions that get 25 each. If I remember, very, very I'd have cool. to go check. That's, that's awesome. I'd have to, I'd have to go and check. And that also just too. shows me, it tells me how... Rivals of Ether and specifically Workshop. There's just people who care and people who want to give a little bit of a bump and say, look, this is obviously something that you're doing with your own time and no one's going to pay you the big bucks to do it. But here, you did a good job. Just take a little sum. Just a little sum. Yeah. The thing about the Workshop community, since we're since it's like a niche subsection of Rivals, which is already a niche subsection of platform fighting as a whole, it's very close knit. I haven't spent too much time in the other side of Rivals. I've only recently started playing back in base cast events online but to feel that connection. But I'm certain that connection is there too. It's a very close-knit community where you'll probably find a group of people who you like to hang out with. And then those group of people 
You know, you start to hang out with them more. You play the game with them more. And as you improve, you're having fun with those people. And if you're making things, you're hanging around those people. You're sharing developer ideas. You're sharing, you know, tips for coding or advice for spriting and animation. And it sort of just – it's like a bond of blood. Like if there's no rope tighter than the rope that holds this community together. Oh, I love hearing stuff like that. This is very cool. Now, did that was this part of what inspired you to do streaming, to do YouTube? You want to talk about that? I've always wanted to get into streaming and YouTube mainly for not only video essay-esque content, but for fighting games because of how much I played them. And there was like such an influx coming in with people like Leon Massey. You know, I'll go on YouTube, see clips from Say Jam or him talking from stream about, you know, these concepts from fighting games and, you know... Things like True Underdog Gaming doing review of Nether Realm characters. And I really like that from ever since Infinite came out. So that was around 2018. I'd always wanted to do something like that, but I never really, I was never really good enough at the game, nor was I good enough at the process of making YouTube videos to start doing it consistently. And I think in January, after I made my first video, after coming out of, you know, a hiatus of sorts, I started getting improvement i started getting more people coming back to watch my videos i started getting feedback on those videos and you know they started accomplishing my goal which was to start discussion and then streaming came in the form of i was the only person for a while in the community of workshop that had a very active interest in giving events commentary specifically the workshop uh workshop amateur bracket that was happening it's considered like a whole it's considered the holy grail of mid-level workshop it's like i think hungrybox said this once on stream how like online smash ultimate there's like gym badges like mega smash mondays and you online all that that you gotta go and win for mid-level players work wars the the amateur bracket is like the holy grail and so i really wanted to give events and workshops since we're so niche that same type of you know love and exposure that base cast events would get by commentating it and i also happen to have a computer able to barely withhold streaming so i would start streaming the academy series for workshop and that led me to get into commentary i've gotten a ton of other people into commentary and thus sort of can gotten this cycle of i get someone into commentary we start hanging out we become friends we get more people into commentary building up a commentary empire for rivals of ether workshop i see oh well i mean i have to because i think at the moment i can think of five commentators who are active when i need them yeah and you want to make that number a little bit bigger i want to make that number a little bit bigger because it is very it's very stressful to run basically i have two monitors so i'll face like this i'll have the game up here i'll have this over here you know i'll have to move replays into the folder so that they can commentate i'll have to make sure stream isn't lagging or anything i have to update scores on the scoreboard etc it's a lot to have to manage if you have to both commentate and host it so why are you doing all this then why am i doing all of this because i feel like i owe something to workshop mainly because of who I've met from it, what experiences it's given me, the good that's come from it into my life, and the sort of improvements that I've made to myself because of the people I hang around with. 
It just feels like I owe something back to them, and I feel like I've only barely begun to scratch the surface of repaying that debt. Very kind of you to take that time, though, because you you know this. That's that's not something that everybody wants to do, and it sounds like there are times where it feels not quite worth it or it's very stressful or something falls through and now you're scrambling but still to wake up and say i want to live a life certainly a life that's outside of rivals of ether but i also want to live a life inside of rivals of ether i want to give back all the amazing good that i have experienced in and around the game and within the community and so one way to do that is to help commentate and to make sure these events can be commentated for workshop-related Rivals of Ether events. It's very cool to hear. Actually, if it wasn't for me commentating workshop, I would have never gotten an opportunity to start commentating in Basecast, believe it or not. Well, you have to prove that you can do it, right? So you, you start somewhere small and then you have something to show to people and be like, hello, I have experience. And they go, oh, okay, cool. Actually, that's not what happened. Uh, one <gasps> of the... One, I think the new head of the Academy series for Rivals, which is, by the way, it's really cool that they display that server in the game itself as one of the first things that shows up because it's probably like the best hub for finding things like frame data and how to improve and people to critique your gameplay and such. But the head principal of that right now, Protagify, heard me commentate on a workshop stream and thought I was really funny and said hey would you be interested to commentate basecast and i remember that day when it happened i sent i, I sent a message into uh my personal friend group uh discord server that i have from rivals and i sent someone lines like oh my god oh my f oh my fucking god i'm gonna be commentating basecast which was like considerably like two magnitude leads above what i had been doing up until that point but you had the confidence to do it, or did you feel really nervous at first? At first, I felt really nervous because of how little time I spent in base cast. I still didn't even know what everyone did in terms of their gimmicks. And I felt incredibly nervous that I didn't have that information. But after I did my first go around, immediately the nerves came off. And so now would you say that you're about ready to commentate something like, and I read your Twitter, I saw that you uh, you are unfortunately not making plans to go out to an event like Riptide, but Dream I Scenario, actually, that's something you want to help commentate, right? Not only is that Dream Scenario, but after I ran the financials, uh, I thought Ohio was farther away from where I live, but it's actually like a seven and a half hour drive, and that's like $100 on gas. So with the amount of money I have right now, I am actually able to go to Riptide. The only problem is trying to find money for a hotel room, which since it's in September and I'm coming on finding a job, I don't think that'll be too much of a problem. So I might actually be able to go to Riptide. As for commentating it, I haven't made any move towards commentating it. There's going to be a workshop side event there. I've thought about asking the staff, hey, I have experience commentating this. I would greatly appreciate the opportunity if you would let me commentate this side event. But part of me also wants to play in it because yeah, there's there's that drive. There's that drive I've gotten now as a player that I've never had before where I want to play in things and I want to get better. And it's mainly to prove that I can do it and not just barely miss it. And do you feel like if you focus on too much commentary that you'll just never be able to get back out of that, that you'll be just the commentating guy, the bowling king, you know, plays the game, but he's a commentator. I kind of joked about that initially back when I was starting to commentate Workshop, that I was the Bobby Scar of Workshop. Oh, 
Oh, I love that so much. But no, but do cons- continue. <laughs> considering how commentary schedule had gone, there's very long off days in between weekly brackets. Like everything that we do in the week that I would have to commentate for, you know, Monday doesn't have a bracket that needs commentary. Wednesday doesn't have a bracket that needs commentary. Usually we have a bi-weekly Wednesday bracket, but I think that's besides the point. Thursday's base cast Academy series. So nothing really runs there that would need commentary because that runs in direct competition. Friday doesn't have anything. And then Saturday's Blueberry Bout, which you kind of had to go first come first serve to commentate that. And Sunday doesn't have a bracket that has commentary anymore. So there's a lot of downtime in between commentating these online events where I can still not only play in other events, but keep my skills up as a player. And so I hope that whatever you end up doing the rest of the summer into the fall, that you're able to grow in directions, not just with one specific thing, that since you feel the drive to push in all those directions, that you're able to do that. And having a job... (laughs) amidst all that that is understanding and says oh you're going to be away for the weekend to go to an event or what have you especially when it's safer and we're assuming that september is going to be a little bit better in that direction for all of this that you can do all these things that you don't get bogged down by job stuff for me speaking i would hope to be able to attend one or two bigger events at some point but i have a job so Sometimes that involves just kind of saying, oh, okay, I guess I'm working that because I need to be able to put food on the table for my family. (laughs) Hopefully for you, that's different, that you can do all these sort of things and that you can succeed because in our conversation that we've had thus far, I already feel like I'm rooting for you, Bowling King. Well, I live in a very strange situation in the fact that most majors are incredibly far away from where I live. Like, seven eight 12 hour drives you know stuff like get on my level pound uh the big house is far away from where i live and then there's super smash con which is just on the other side of of the state i never knew it i always thought super smash con was up in like delaware or something but it's (laughs) yeah i never knew where super smash con was held i thought it was held somewhere else but not just held in chantilly which is like a five hour drive from where i live very close. Yes. I, I was. I always assumed it was Los Angeles. I was like, this is too big of an event to be held anywhere except for Los Angeles or San Diego. Wait, Virginia? Yeah, it's, <laughs> like I, on the, it's on the other side of the I'm like, man, if uh, 2022 rolls around and Super Smash Con is going to be there because Rivals usually gets a spot at Super Smash Con, I would probably be able to go, especially having a job because oh. luckily oh, no. I don't have to provide food on the table i'm sorry i'm saying oh no to you know what i just realized though 2022 that means they'll have rivals two they might not have rivals one i think rivals one it would be like smash ultimate and smash melee in my opinion rivals two is going to be so fundamentally different from rivals one because it's introducing shields back into the equation of gameplay that some people are still going to prefer the parry based probably a lot still faster paced rivals one but i can see where you're coming from you think that they're going to slow it down just a smidge by just by the concept of shielding that it'll slow down a little bit yeah i think that's probably the biggest thing that might turn me away from rivals two is shielding mainly because i've never tried to shield on a stick it'd probably be just as easy as parrying but also conceptually having to hold up a shield 
for a certain amount of timing, you know, concepts like shield stun, shape on shield, having to drift back aerials on shield, spacing. Spacing becomes a lot more complicated when shields are in the equation. And when I can't say Dan did this specifically because I'm not him nor my anyone that was on the developer team, but because you have parry instead of shielding, not only does it keep the game fast paced, but you don't have to worry so much about those complex situations of spacing drifting back to make sure I'm X safe frames on shield and they can't, you know, shield grab me. That's the other thing. Rivals does not have grabs. There's even the quote unquote grabs in rivals are just coded to be attacks. Other uh, like command grabs, maybe. Uh, even the command grabs, uh, functionally, are still attacks. It's supposed to be that parrying is like an absolute, it beats an attack, but you have to time it. Right, because in Ultimate, you can parry things, but it's really more of like, congratulations, you made something cool and flashy happen, but it will do you absolutely no good whatsoever. Parrying in Smash Ultimate feels like parrying in Street Fighter Third Strike. It is a reward for getting a timed button press, but it is usually reserved for, you know, that higher level of play where you need to get a much more quick and optimal punish off of a situation, and parrying removes that shield stun. And, you know, parrying in Third Strike, there's no shield stun. You can act out of it almost immediately, so it allows for much quicker punishes. But parrying in Rivals, if you land a parry in Rivals... Your opponent basically goes into stun. We call it parry stun. They go into parry stun where they can't move. And you can basically get a free punish. It rewards you much more for landing that parry. Now, of course, there's a ton of different situations like, you know, if I parry someone's uppy and they ledge cancel it to go out of pratfall or parry stun, then they're fully actionable again. And there's also the very interesting situation of parrying a jab. Where if you parry a jab in Rivals, it doesn't put the opponent into parry stun, but you still get the invincibility from parrying something. That just sounds so cool that there's, there is a lot actually there where I've watched Rivals of Ether gameplay from a distance and I go, I'm not entirely sure what is appealing about this just because I am so deep embedded into watching Melee. Even watching Ultimate, I just go, okay, sure, everybody's trying to just back air wall each other. And that's not true, by the way. There is a there is actually a lot happening, especially when a character like Sonic or or Steve is on the screen. Like, I play Ice Climbers, so you, you're right. I wall people. <laughs> if, if I stay when with I, Smash... Go ahead. No, that's okay. I was just saying, like when I when I play when I play Ultimate, because I I bought it before the CND thing happened, so I, I won't be supporting Nintendo directly like that in the future. But anyway, I kind of do the same thing. It's just like throw out an Ike forward air or a back air and just hope that it works out. But go ahead, you were saying. Uh, I think if I stuck with, I was saying if I think I stuck with Ultimate, I think I would have shifted to try to become the best ice climbers in Virginia, because. It wasn't until after I'd played Rivals where I was like, let's go back to Smash for a little bit because there's some stuff in Smash that's not in Rivals, mainly Melee Luigi. There is no one-to-one recreation, original character or otherwise, of Melee Luigi, who was like, I I I was infatuated with the Bates Luigi, even before the S2J infinite ceiling glitch set at that big house. I was infatuated. With just a bait taking a character and just saying, yeah, I'm going to meme with it. And then he started doing well. It was amazing to watch. The closest we've gotten in any capacity in Rivals to Melee Luigi is a character made by my friend Regina, which is basically a fucking ghost pepper. 
<laughs> it's it, it's a ghost pepper with a big old schnoz, and oh. he has a knife and a side special is basically <laughs> Luigi Tornado. And that's the closest I've been able to get to Melee Luigi. And while it's not exactly Melee Luigi, I guess it'll do, but I still hold out hope that Melee Luigi will be, in some capacity, brought back to me. Now, you're not going to be the one to do that, though, because you haven't been... You haven't seen enough of a return in the investment of trying to do anything in workshop for yourself, right? You're just kind of saying, hey, if anybody's listening to this, like, you know, Melee Luigi, put it in rivals. I've spit out, that's kind of a common thing. We have a lot of people in workshop who you kind of take poor advantage of the modern collaboration channel we have, which is supposed to be like, hey, I have X skill set. If you have Y skill set, we can make this work. And a lot of people come in just to say they have an idea and nothing really ever gets done. I got into Workshop mainly through coding. I didn't sprite. I've not sprited a single thing for myself fully. And, you know, coding was, like, something I did passively because I had that sort of, you know, knack for technology growing up through school. And, you know, coding for Workshop isn't that bad. It's just spriting it. Spriting it's always the worst part. Because you're making the animation. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, it's because it's art. And I've got... Last time I was in an art class, I got a B. Okay, well, okay, look, hey, let's not put letters on it. Art is about <laughs> subjectivity. Maybe the circles don't look close to good. Maybe they're more like cylinder kind of shapes or whatever, but I'm <laughs> sure with practice you can get better. I my art is objectively bad, and mainly I've kind of just stuck to coding. Coding's what I find the most fun. Even if I well, tried to brute force the art, I don't think I'd have much fun with it. So basically, to anyone who's listening, if you want to make <laughs> melee luigi in rivals of ether all you got to do is the spriting and we have a very competent workshop programmer in bowling king who would be happy to make the wave, wave dash go across the entire the entire platform and stages for rivals of ether also uh since i planned to put this in exw because it's related to workshop since i'm on this podcast if you've listened this far hi guys uh <laughs> hope i did us justice so far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. So far, no problems. But I do want to make sure that aside from that shout-out, are there any other shout-outs that you want to make? Tell the people where they can find you because I am running of things... Uh, running of? No. I'm running out of things to ask you about. I want you to make sure you have the floor here to either guide the conversation into another topic or to wrap us up. All right. Uh, I mainly wanted to do this really quick because... Uh, Basecast Academy is down a commentator tonight. I haven't done it in a while. I'm thinking about hitting hitting that back up, and I don't know what time it is. But I suppose if I wanted to give some closing remarks, if I wanted to give a big shout-out, shout-outs to TAG, uh, which is my crew. It stands for Team Almost Good, which I made back when I came back into playing Workshop competitively. Specifically, although I, you know, I love all of you guys. You know, all of you guys are like family to me, but... I wouldn't have made it this far if it wasn't for Jack, Doge, and Punking, who I started playing Workshop with. We started hanging out together. We got bored of always getting our calls raided while we were just chilling out. So we made that server for us. And ever ever since then, we've been like, it's been like a brotherly bond that, you know, it only comes around once in a while. Very cool. And where can the people find you? If you want to find me, you can find me at Bowling King on YouTube and Bowler Boy with a zero on Twitter and Bowling King with a zero on Twitch.tv, where every Tuesday I 
try to stream the Academy Series Top 8. I didn't stream last week's Top 8 because we thought the graduates, I thought the Graduate Series was happening, but, you know, it didn't. Whoopsie-daisy. But you can find me on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch there. I think the last thing I did was the Workshop Jam judging. I think if you really want to get into Workshop, I think now would probably be the best time. You know, not only is Riptide coming up, which is going to have a Workshop side bracket, but there's also, like, the most amount of fleshed out, developed Workshop content and the fact that there are four Workshop characters coming to base cast which you know practicing them now would give you a leg up and you know me pl having played workshop since january i'm not letting any of you motherfuckers get a leg up on me let's go bowling king i love that <laughs> yeah i think that's all if you don't have anything else no i don't thank you so much for joining me although the one thing i want to say before i officially outro us is that i think i came up with a really good title for this podcast episode and i just want to throw th run it by you here see if you like it team almost good enough to explain rivals <laughs> yeah that sounds great that sounds great <laughs> thank you i appreciate that that you're very kind i yeah, appreciate I'm pretty it down for that okay <laughs> bowling king one more time thank you so much for joining me on bottom of the smash mountain and thank you so much for having me it's very different to be on a podcast why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Fair warning, I am very tired for this wrap-up. I did this last night, and I was so tired and burnt out. It's going to sound like a hot mess, but now you've been warned. Thank you so much for listening to this awesome <laughs> wrap-up. Woo, we made it another day, another podcast. And there's actually a lot that we have to talk about today when it comes to the melee scene. So... We didn't really talk about Melee that much, but we did talk about Melee some. For those of you who were listening to the interview with Bowling King, you were like, wait a minute, this isn't a Rivals of Ether podcast. It says Bottomless Smash Mountain. What's going on here? Yes, I am aware of the fact that it wasn't specifically related to Melee at all times and focusing on Melee, but hey, <laughs> is that such a big deal? Is that a problem? Does anybody have a problem with this? No? Okay, well, let's keep it moving. I wanted to thank Bowling King for coming on. It really was fun. We were able to talk a little bit before and after, and during the interview, you wouldn't have necessarily picked up on this unless you were really paying attention, but we actually were video chatting while recording the podcast, so I am not able to record video. That is not something that I am currently capable of at this time, that my technology is limited I record from a car and my apartment has no Wi-Fi. It just it's just it's just not a great setup for trying to do <laughs> video. So that is the current setup that I have right now where we can't have an image or a video of me talking and a video of the guest talking. But you know what we have instead? We have sprinting legs coming in with the quickness with the fire with the awesomeness that she is i want to give a big shout out to a producer of bottom of the smash mountain who specifically produces the videos for the youtube channel at sprinting legs that is where you can find her on twitter and also sprintinglegs.com has all sorts of exciting projects but who better than to talk about sprinting legs than her wife, 
Petra. Hi, it's me, Petra, or Petricide. I'm a melee player, and I was recently on an episode of Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Given that my wife, Legs, is a partially sentient chatbot, she asked me to record this for her. Legs is a Game Boy speedrunner who's new to the melee scene. She picked it up in January 2021 to be a practice partner for me. In addition to helping with Bottom of the Smash Mountain, she also produces This is Game Boy, a Game Boy podcast, and manages the Game Boy database for the Game Boy speedrunning community. You can find these and all her other projects at sprintinglegs.com. She also wants me to let you know if you ever need puff practice to hit her up for friendlies anytime. How wholesome is that? Okay, so now you know where to go when it comes to finding sprinting legs. Very, very helpful when it comes to me and what I'm doing here with the bottom... Well, sorry, not the... It's just bottom of the smash mountain. <laughs> so the basic story is that Sprinting Legs reached out to me and said, hey, I do another podcast and this is what I do. If you send me the audio file, I'd be happy to render it into a video of some kind for you. And I said, cool. And so we bounced around a couple of ideas and landed on what we have now, which is a stick figure climbing up the mountain, planting a banner that gives shout outs and then doing it all over again until the video is done. And since most of these episodes are an hour plus long, you get plenty of shout outs, plenty of links getting dropped. I'm thinking specifically of the guests, but also a few shout outs for ourselves, of course. <laughs> Nothing better than watching a little stick figure climb up a mountain throw a shout out and then go back down the mountain and then do it all over again. Really, really fun to have a little bit of video on top of the normal stuff. So I can't do any of that myself. That's why I have to give huge credits and huge shout outs to Legs. And by the way, Legs, I know you're listening to this. If you feel like you've been dragged out of the deep recesses of the internet and not able to do a whole lot of behind the scenes stuff, in peace in the past couple of days. I do apologize for that. I'm very excited to give credit where credit is due, but I won't be making a point of doing that in every episode or anything like that, just just for the initial stuff, and then we'll just let you go back into the deep recesses of the internet and be chill, behind-the-scenes, sentient, chatbot, robot stuff. Thank you so much for helping me out. Petra, thank you for coming on. I... I'm really happy that I have met the both of you, virtually speaking, but hopefully we'll get to meet in person at some point in the future. Who knows? Very exciting. But again, big shout-outs to at Sprinting Legs. Thank you so much for helping me with making the content for YouTube specifically. Producer, that's the title of Bottom of the Smash Mountain. That's okay. For those of you who are concerned about me giving up responsibilities, that's... I think you should calm down. <laughs> Is anybody actually concerned? No. Let's talk about Golden Guardians. Golden Guardians is going to be running a pretty awesome event this upcoming Saturday called The Octagon 2. And there's going to feature just a few decent matchups. Not a big deal. Oh, it's a big deal, all right. We have all kinds of exciting matchups for you here for the Octagon 2. When I say we, it's actually not me specifically. I should have been clear. I'm not putting this event on. This is all credit to uh, this is all credit to the Golden Guardians crew and especially to 
well, actually, who is leading this up specifically? Because it's actually not just casual. Oops. Sorry, Sam. You're not necessarily involved super hard in this. I made a shortcut in my brain. You did tell me in our interview on, by the way, <laughs> I interviewed Just Casual, who heads up the GG Melee YouTube, that you were not helping super, super hard with the Octagon 2. That's on me. I forgot about it already. But I remember just in time to catch it, to catch myself while we're recording. So, eh? Anyway, let's talk about the matchups. The biggest matchup, of course, is Zane versus Mango. I was so tempted to say none versus Mango. I don't know necessarily why or what might possibly be wrong with me, but that is the true actual matchup. Zane versus Mango. And they're going to be playing in person on the same monitor slash CR CRT. Is it going to be a CRT or is it going to be a monitor? Who even knows? But they're going to be playing on the same television screen device. That's right. Mango is f apparently flying over to Virginia or the v MDVA area. Is it Virginia or is it Maryland that Zane lives in? Well, it's one of the two. MDVA region to stay with Zane for a few days and play the Octagon 2, their grudge matchup, first to five. So my personal prediction there is that Mango wins because Zane won in the Octagon 1, 5-2, which, by the way, I predicted that Zane would win 5-2, and it was not looking so hot at first. As I recall, it was kind of going back and forth. It was like 1-1, one, one, and then it was 2-2, two, two, and then in the fifth game, Zane had a crazy crazy last stock situation with Mango on Pokemon Stadium and the transformation since this was this was delay based netcode at the time transformation did something weird and hilarious and it was spaghetti and Zane won and then ripped another two straight to make it 5 to 2 not super dominating 5 to 2 but pretty dominating. I mean, it was close until game five, and then after Zane clutched that out, won the next two games very easily to make it 5-2. Winning three games in a row is pretty good. And then, up next, we have Moki versus Nun. This is a Canada matchup. They both live in Canada. Do you see what I'm doing there? I don't know how to really get into any sort of Canada stereotypes other than syrup and however nice everybody seems to be up there. So I can't really deliver super hilarious verbiage that people who are in Canada right now listening to this. Hey, shout outs to NS Frog, shout outs to Sprinting Legs, shout outs to Petra. <laughs> you probably are all just shaking your heads going, stop trying to be funny. Okay, that's fine. Let's talk about Moki versus none. I'm going to say that Moki is going to win. I think that a lot of people are saying that this is going to be the case. It's only because none has not been playing super hot recently. Moki has been playing very well recently. So I think that's just going to continue here. And it's a first of five, so we'll see what happens. But I think Moki takes it. And then we have S2J versus IBDW. Of course, we all remember how IBDW has had some tough 
Captain Falcon losses in, earlier in his career, but that's a long time ago. <laughs> that's 2019. This is 2021. IBDW cuts through Falcon like a buzzsaw, okay? <laughs> so in case anybody was curious on my prediction, yeah, I'm predicting that IBDW takes this. In fairness, S2J has beaten IBDW at some point here in 2021. Can't remember what that is, but you should check out Monday Morning Marth because Edwin Budding remembers Melee Stats Collective. Just go look up Monday Morning Marth. And then after that, the last matchup, and I'm going in reverse order here, by the way. Really, the first matchup is the last matchup, but the last one that I have to talk about is Hungrybox versus ginger oh this is delightful and i've already spoken to this somewhat i personally think that ginger is going to win but what i saw today that might change my mind is that ginger does not have a controller that he feels super comfortable on right now i guess the one that he had been comfortable on ran its course in terms of life and now he's more or less waiting for another controller to come in or for the other one to be refurbished or I don't know what the exact story is, but I, I read a tweet thread by Ginger either from yesterday or it was from today, but I read it today where Ginger's basically saying, look y'all, I love doing tournament streams and doing online tournament runs. As you all know, I'm a big person for entering online tournaments, but without a tournament viable controller, it is kind of hard to enter tournaments. It really sucks everything out of me, and I hate it. <laughs> so that might be the difference maker that Hungrybox can beat Ginger. I just don't see it without some it, without some external factor like that. So I think what is actually going to happen in terms of the order of the matches, it is going to be Hungrybox versus Ginger first, and then it's going to be S2J versus IBDW. Moki versus Nun, and finally ending with Mango versus Zane. The Octagon one from last year was really great, and I hope that what sorry, I had hoped that there'd be an Octagon two in like three months from that time because when Rollback came out, I was saying, wait a minute, we just had the Octagon one like two weeks ago, and then this Rollback comes out. What? Of course they wouldn't have been able to run it as smoothly as they can now because broadcast was not a viable option. Sorry, viable. Broadcasting within Slippy was not possible at the time. That build had not been made officially public yet. It might have been a beta sort of a release, but Fizzy doing all of this hard work, making rollback netcode a thing for all of us Melee people, well, I mean, I don't get to do it because I don't have Wi-Fi. Like I said, I, I can't even I can't even play Slippy. But for the people who can and all the matches that the spectators get to see as a result of viable netcode and a great broadcasting system now, broadcasting tool probably is the better way to phrase it, that we have access to through Project Slippy is awesome. And now we finally do come to the Octagon 2. So where do you watch it, you say? Where do you see where me, Jesse, a.k.a. Cypher, a.k.a. you get it, is going to be either right or wrong about these matchups? What you want to do is you want to go to twitch.tv slash goldenguardians on June 5th. That's right, Saturday, June 5th at 2 p.m. PST or 5 p.m. EST. Although, 
we're both where we should technically be in daylight savings time. So as someone helpfully helpfully reminded me, it would actually be 2 p.m. PDT and 5 p.m. EDT. Think about that. Think about that. Kind of hurts my brain. But maybe the Golden Guardians Twitter, maybe Zeke who runs it is saying no 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 no. It's Pacific Standard Time and Eastern Standard Time. You have to put your clocks back an hour. So really it would be 1 p.m. PDT and, or wait, no, it would be 3 p.m. I've officially crossed myself up too many times. Let's just assume that when they say 2 p.m. PST and 5 p.m. EST, that the number on your clock is going to match up with what it ought to be. (laughs) (sighs) So twitch.tv slash golden guardians, June 5th. In the afternoon at some time in your time zone, as long as you're within the United States. Oh, great. Europe is going to be ahead, so they'll be in the evening by the time this happens. I feel bad. I've really botched this, but I think that's what we're really good. Excuse me. That's what I'm really good at doing here on Bottom of the Smash Mountain, just kind of botching things and being okay with it. So other than that, there's another big event that is happening this weekend that I don't know if I know all of the details down pat for. However, okay, so I do have the time frame of when the metagame documentary is going to be re-aired on Twitch this weekend. That's right. Coming June 5th through 6th at 10 a.m. Pacific time each day is going to be the metagame documentary. Now, some of you have already seen it. I myself have only seen a handful of the episodes. I did not get to watch the entire airing when it first came out in December, back in December of 2020. I did not get to watch the entire thing like I wanted to. So will I get to watch the entire thing this time? Well, that remains to be seen. That may be tricky to do. But what I'm saying is, is that it's a great weekend for Melee because if you want to go to twitch.tv slash metagame doc, is that what the Twitch link is? Is that what the Twitch game link is? Somebody answer this question for me. I'm scrolling down Twitter. I swear it was, was, it was right here. That was just... Why... This is unfortunate. You should just go to twitch.tv slash metagamedoc. I believe that's what the Twitch link is. Of course, I could do everyone here a huge favor and just link it in the description of this here podcast episode. That would probably be good. In fact, let's not trust that what I'm saying is true, that you should just go to the description of the podcast and you'll see the true link for whatever whatever Twitch channel metagame is going to be airing on at 10 a.m. Pacific time, which is known as 1 p.m. Eastern time. So for you East Coast people, you will get to be able to wake up a little bit, have a little bit of lunch perhaps, all that kind of good stuff. Meanwhile, if you're on the West Coast, you're going to have to wake up earlier than maybe perhaps you would want to. (laughs) Maybe just a little bit. I feel bad for you, but you'll be fine. You're going to have a long day of Melee to look forward to. How about that? 
that's all I have pretty much. So I wanted to make sure that we talked a little bit about the podcast, how we are growing into a team of two now. Legs is doing so much to help me out. Wanted to talk about Golden Guardians and the Octagon 2. It's going to be really exciting, and I, I am going to miss some of it, I have to confess, but I do have life stuff happening here and there, and so I, I miss out on things as they happen live occasionally. But then we also needed to talk about metagame documentary and how this has been patched, right? We've had a lot of feedback, especially the first weekend that metagame originally aired in December of 2020, where people were saying, I don't like this about the documentary. I wish this was different. I wish that I didn't feel sad and depressed every time Leffen won, <laughs> which is a bit of a meme. And in fact, you should go to the metagame doc YouTube channel where you can see a video that Samox made kind of touching on this topic of sad Leffen music. <laughs> I thought it was a funny video. Twitch.tv slash metagame. I did finally find the Twitch link, by the way. So for those of you who were really worried that I wasn't going to land on my feet, I did. But that does conclude what I had in mind for this podcast today. I'm really happy that I continue to be able to keep up with my internal plan of three episodes a week that I'm trying to talk to a variety of different people, so not always just specifically melee people. I talked to a person from Rivals of Ether today, and maybe it's not a super big deal to some people, but for me, I feel like it's just a little tiny taste of talking to people in general because I don't want to always specifically talk to a 100% melee person, although that is great. I really like the idea of talking to just about any creative and if somebody from a fighting game community or a video game community in general wants to talk about their game and relate it back to Melee somehow, because if you were paying attention, Bowling King and I did talk a decent amount about Melee, I feel, enough to keep the Melee people interested, I hope, that maybe there can be some crossover there as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm going to be mostly talking to Melee people, though. I mean, just scroll down the episodes of who I've talked to so far, and they're all really close to Melee as a whole. I think, other than Bowling King, about the furthest away I had gone otherwise was was Echo Storm, right? Because Echo is not necessarily involved with Melee things anymore. Echo is editing for Fatality Falcon's YouTube channel, which is almost at 100k subscribers, by the way. Let's go, Echo! Let's go! Echo is a great editor, by the way. Okay, <laughs> I think that's all I got. I did wasn't planning on shouting out Echo, and yet here we are. I love you, Echo. I hope you're having a good evening. I mean, I'm having a good evening. I'm very tired, as you can tell. But thank you all so much for listening. Hope that you enjoy the rest of your evening, or if you're listening in the morning, if you're listening during your midnight snack, if you're listening instead of watching super awesome events this weekend like you should be watching metagame documentary and the octagon 2 maybe go do that first and then come back to this humble little operation that we have going here happy to have you here hope that you continue to say hello on twitter and that you say hello on youtube go subscribe to the youtube hope that we get to talk soon and we'll catch you next time